We are back with our teaching in the book of Genesis. Last time we were here, we were in chapter 14, and we stopped with Abram returning from the battle of the kings, a victorious battle that he had won by the help of the Lord. But nevertheless, it was a battle of the kings in which he had met this wonderful guy who was king of righteousness, king of Salem, Melchizedek. And a wonderful thing was spoken concerning him uh, in our last teaching. You guys may want to check that out. But anyway, so we are now dealing with Abram as he returns from the battle of the kings. And we're going into chapter 15 as we're going to deal with certain issues that were in the heart of Abram, even though it wasn't quite mentioned in chapter 14. And these were reasons, as we will find out why he didn't want to accept anything from the king of Sodom or any of the peoples of that land. But anyway, all that being said, let's go to Genesis 15, beginning at verse number one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now, Let's just simply stop here, guys. We're going to try to be make as much uh, take as much advantage of the time that we can. But there are certain things that do draw our attention a lot. And this is one of those verses. So the first thing that we see after these things, what things after returning from the battle of the kings, after these particular events of those battles, even after the meeting with Melchizedek. What happened? The word of the Lord. Now, this is the very first time, Davai Yahweh, uh, the first time that this particular Hebrew phrase is used, the word of the Lord. But the whole idea simply is that God began to reveal himself, the word of the Lord. God revealed himself to Abram, but this time he did it in a vision. And those words came to Abraham as consolation. Now notice, and you can see the relationship between what God is saying to Abram now and what Abram actually said to Sodom, the king of Bera. Remember, the whole point was, don't, I don't want anything from you. Don't give me anything. And now you can see how those two particular issues connect. And also, too, there's a degree of faith. Remember, Abram said these things lest you say that you have made me rich, okay? So it's clear in the mind of Abram that whatever he would receive, he believed that it would be given to him from God and not those Gentile neighbors, all right? And now we see God coming and kind of affirming that particular concept with Abraham, that it is he who will be the blessing for Abram. But nevertheless, let's get into it. So what does he say? Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. So now let's deal with that. Do not fear. I am a shield to you. What had Abram just done? He had just been engaged in a battle. Remember the four kings against the five kings. That's the Genesis chapter 14. And those five kings were defeated by the four kings. Remember Ketelet Omar. He was the king. He defeated five kings. And here comes Abram with his uh, Allies, remember those three brothers, Anar, Eskel, and all of that, and Mamre. Abram comes with those three allies of his, their men as well, and those 318 trained men in his home. In other words, that's not a lot. 
So for Abram to win that particular battle with the four kings, Kirtle Amor, it was a wonderful battle. And the only way that battle could have been won is because God and God alone had given him the victory. So we see, notice as God is saying, don't fear, I am a shield unto you. So therefore, it is God who gave Abram the victory. And always remember, that victory will be given to Abram because God had given him a promise. A promise that even at this time still had not been fulfilled. And that's what we're going to get into in this particular teaching. Okay? So he says, do not fear. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now, if you actually look at this particular statement in the Hebrew, I'm not going to get into it, but show you the Hebrew, guys. I, I, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But the point is, if you actually looked at this statement in Hebrew, the text can be understood in two ways, where God is simply saying, I am a shield to you, and listen, and your reward, your exceedingly great reward. So, in one way, it could be understood and interpreted that God is saying to him, I am your reward. And that reward to you is a very great reward. The reward to you, Abram, is me. That's one way of looking at it. And, those, and here's the thing I also want to say about that. That's also a true statement. God is his reward. Not only is he his shield. He is also his great reward. But then also, too, and a common way of understanding it, even as we see it here in this text, your reward shall be great. In other words, that which God will give unto him. Both ways can be can be translated and interpreted correctly. And I think at the same time, both statements are true. What? God, number one, is his reward and also too. God is going to reward him. What particular reward? The reward that we see that will be talked about as we move through the text. The reward of a son, or not so much as simply a son, but many sons. Okay, so let's go on. So he tells Abram, everything is great. Everything will be great. I am your God. Verse number two, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? Since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. So Abram responds to him when God tells him that he will have a great reward. And remember, remember, tie all of this to the very end of what of chapter 14 of what Abram said to the king of Sodom. He said, he said, I don't want nothing from you. I don't want anything from you. But clearly, even though he wanted no material possessions, you see, Abram, God, notice what he said. What will you give me since I'm childless? Abram's concern was not prosperity. His concern was posterity. In other words, he says, okay, because last time we saw Abram, he was a very powerful man. He was a very wealthy man. It's not the wealth that Abram was looking for at this time, but it is the very, that initial promise that God had given him as far back as Genesis chapter 12, when God says to him, leave your father's house. I bless you. 
I'll make your name great. I will give you a seed. I will give you descendants. And so Abram is saying, I got everything else. I got everything except the most important thing to me, except the main thing that you promised me. You promised me a seed and I have no seed. But anyway, so let's look, look, look at what he says. And then he says this who, who will become the heir, the, the heir, once Abram dies, his heir, heir in his house, is this Eleazar of Damascus. And he says, one born in my house, a slave, a servant. So let me make, let me make you guys understand it. What the custom of the day was this, that if a, a, a man and a woman, husband and wife, had no children, they had an option of taking a slave or one of the children of the slaves, the firstborn one, and, and that was usually the custom. They would take that particular slave that was born into that family and adopt that particular slave servant as the heir of the family since the father had no children of his own. And this is what Abram is saying to God at this time. There is one born in my house, Eleazar, but he's not my physical, he's not my son, and this one is going to end up being what? The heir to my, all my stuff, to, 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 to my name and to everything. And the promise that you gave me that I would have a son, it has not materialized. So you can see there's a sense of anguish and a sense of despair. And we can understand that too, because clearly from the time that God has called Abram in chapter 12, some significant time has passed and Abram has already had to endure certain frights. Remember the fright that he had down into Egypt where he thought he almost could have lost his wife, Sarah, to the household of to Pharaoh. And now then we end up in this battle and a war with Abraham. And, and this is presum presumably we know he could not have died, but this is the idea. Presumably could have been killed and still he has no heir. And he and the only reason why he is down in the land of Canaan in the first place is because God made him a promise. And he's saying but I haven't had any fulfillment of that promise. Not yet. So let's keep, let's keep, let's keep going, guys. Verse number four, the Lord responds. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he, that is Abram, believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. All right. Now let's talk about this part, guy. Most beautiful section of the scriptures. All right. So here, once Abram, I don't want to use the term complains. He's not so much as complaining, but he's sharing his heart. And that's what God wants him to do, to be open and honest about what's in his heart. And, and for that matter, guys, always, no need to try to cover. Don't hide none of that, especially when it has to do with sin. But the whole point I'm trying to simply stress here is this. God knows what's in your deepest thoughts. He knows what's in your heart. You can tell him what's in your heart whether it be a good or a bad thing, and it does not even matter. He always knows. What we do know is this. 
God is merciful and God is compassionate. And, and in sharing your heart, you open yourself, you allow yourself to, to receive the help that God wants to give you. Okay. But anyway, I'm a little off cue. So let me go on back. So God now responds in verse number four and simply says, no, no, no. This Eleazar of Damascus is not going to be your heir. God promises that he will have an heir that is a son from his own physical body. It will not be any sort of adoption. He will have his own physical son. And then God takes him outside to give, to give him some sort of an object lesson to see. And so clearly what it, 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 it has, it is, it has become night whenever these particular visions that are happening to Abram. And so therefore God causes him to look up in the sky and, and no doubt it was a clear, clear night and says, if you're able Count the stars in the sky. And he says, you can't count all of these stars, can you? And as great and as many as these stars are, so shall your descendants be. So he says, not only will you simply have a son that comes from your body, you will have descendants as great as the number of the stars in the sky. So he's, he's really, God is really Fulfilling, promise, promising to fulfill a promise to Abraham. And remember, none of it has happened. And that's what's so beautiful about verse number six. God is simply making a promise. And the promise of God, he says, you will have many descendants. What happened? Verse number six. Then he, Abram, believed in the Lord. And he, that is the Lord, counted Abraham's belief or his faith as righteousness. Now, let me take a pause. It is this particular statement that we see the Apostle Paul talk about in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians, when the Bible talks about salvation. So now, okay, let me, let me slow it down, break it down. The reference, even as the Apostle Paul uses it, is dealing with salvation, He's dealing with salvation. Okay, so the issue is this. A man, a person, an individual, and, God, and Paul uses this particular statement here to justify this statement. An individual is saved not by what he does, but simply by believing God or taking God at his word, believing in the promises of God. So in other words, as we look at this particular situation, this is the principle that's being displayed. We see Abraham's, Abram's, we see his salvation. We see his salvation not because he is doing anything. We see Abram's salvation because he is simply believing in the promise of God. So, okay, so now let me say some other things too. Now that's the statement that, Paul, Paul takes from this particular statement, he takes that principle and he drives that home in the book of Romans as he is speaking to the Jews, to Jewish people who are under the most, who were at the time Paul was talking, the, the law is, is gone, but who were under the Mosaic law, Paul is simply trying to teach them that it was never, never a person, an individual was never saved about what he did, or in other words, as we would simply say it in biblical terms, a person is never justified by works 
Or in other place, Paul would simply say, a person is never justified by the works of the law. So in other words, for us to understand it, we are never saved. We are, we, we are never saved by what we do. In other words, I'm not saved because I don't lie. I'm not saved because I don't steal. I don't commit adultery, fornication. I don't backbite or have envious desire. There is absolutely nothing that an individual can do to be saved except express faith. Believe in the promise of God. That is what saves a man. So that's why he said, notice, Abram, verse number six, he believed in the Lord. That is, God made a promise. God made a promise. Abraham believed that promise. And what happened? And he, that is God, reckoned it. He counted it as righteousness. And this is what Paul is talking about in the book of Romans, Galatians. And even James speaks of this same instance in this thing. All right. So now with that being said, allow me to make a couple of more um Points concerning these things. Salvation throughout all, all times, through, from the very beginning, from the time of Adam's time, even until this, this time now, no one has ever been saved by what they do. You cannot do that. A person has always been saved by believing a promise of God. All right. The, the whole point is this. We're saved by believing a promise. Now, the content now, and I don't want you guys to get confused by this, but I want you to think the content of the promises of God have changed over time. The th in other words, the thing that you have to believe in order to be saved has been changing, has changed over time. All right. But nevertheless, it, the, the way in which a person is saved, that is saved by faith. That's what I mean when I say God makes a promise concerning something and you believe in that promise. That's faith. To believe means to have faith. The way in which a person has always been saved has always been the same in every age, every generation. So in other words, Abraham, right here in Genesis 15 and 6, is saved by faith. And so when the law comes, nobody is saved by obedience to the law. The law simply comes to, to be a, a way to help the people of God to conduct themselves in righteousness. And a lot of other things the Bible talks about or what the law comes to show what sin is, to display the righteousness of God, thus, 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 and so forth. But the law could never save a person. A person was always saved by faith. And this is what Paul is trying to use. Now, let me, let me go back to this point again, because it is still necessary for us to understand it. It's a kind of difficult part too. Okay. For every generation throughout all times, we've always been saved by faith. That is believing a promise of God. But as I just said, it is the content that in other words, what was the message of God that was necessary for a person to believe to be saved? Now that changed. And sometimes, and, and this is what we understand in what we call 
progressive revelation. Progressive revelation simply means and God begins to tell you or reveal to mankind more and more. Okay, let me give you an example since I'm here. In Genesis 3 and 15, what did God talk about? He talked about the seed of the woman and that seed of the woman would bring redemption. Now, that's all Adam knew. Therefore, therefore, in order for Adam and Eve and those generations with them, in order for them to be saved, they had to simply believe that there would be a seed of the woman. In other words, what? What is the promise of God? He would bring a seed of the woman. You got it? And then now, therefore, all you had to do was believe in that, believe in that, and you would be saved. Now, let me say this too, guys, and I don't want to get too convoluted in my explanation in all of this stuff. Sometimes this is the error that people make. Right now, as we are living on this side of the cross, that simply means Jesus, that seed of the woman, has now been manifested as the person of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one that we've been waiting on. He is the one that the prophets spoke of. It has all been about Jesus all the time. And so therefore he has come. He has died according to the scriptures. He has gone into the grave and resurrected from the dead. This is what Paul talks about the gospel that we must believe in order to be saved. Do not confuse this into thinking that this is what Abraham right here, right here in Genesis 15. Don't confuse this in thinking that they had to believe this. This is incorrect. And this is what I'm trying to share with you now. People have always been saved by faith. That is believing a promise of God. But they did not always believe the same thing because God had not revealed it yet. And that's what you need to understand. So what has God revealed early Genesis 3 and 15? Simply a seed of a woman. You got it? A seed of a woman. And then we moving even now unto Abram where God begins to choose him. And God chooses Abram. That's Genesis chapter 12. And he says, not only will that seed come from a woman, but that seed will come from your family, Abram. That seed will come from your family. And not only will the seed come from your family, you will have many descendants. See, notice there's a promise. All God is doing is making a promise. And once he makes that promise to Abram, Abram has a choice. If he believes God, see, notice there's a, and he believed God. He did. He did. And God says what? You are righteous. In other words, we would just simply say it this way. You are saved. You are saved. And down through time, what would God do? He would give further revelations concerning it. Notice, remember in 2 Samuel, he gave a further revelation. Not only will it come, notice, from Abram. Remember Abram, Isaac, Jacob. He said it would even come from this one would be a king who would sit on the throne of David. So we even have what? Further revelation. So you know to believe, you know to look for this king. And in believing these things, having faith in these things, what? You are saved. You never saved because you did something. You saved because you believe the promise of God. You're doing something. The way that you live was the evidence that you believed it. 
if you didn't live a holy life, a God-defined life, it was just simply because you didn't believe the promise of God. But anyway, let me just give you one more. And even here comes Isaiah. Isaiah says, not only will it come from David, but Isaiah says it would be a virgin who would conceive this particular child. So now you are under the obligation to believe what? That a virgin will see conceive a child. It would be from the family of David. It would be from the seed of Abraham. It will be Genesis 3 and 15 from the seed all of these things are promises of God. And if you believe these things, you are saved. Or in other words, this is the teaching of the apostle Paul as he talks about justification by faith in justification. And let me just cut through all of that talk. Justification guys simply means it's a judicial term as if you are in the courtroom of God and God is sitting as a judge and God, like a judge, he declares you to be, you are righteous. That's what justification means. You are righteous. You are acceptable in the sight of God. And how are you acceptable inside of God? Is it by what you do? Notice by, by the works of the law or even the works of the flesh. What? No person shall be justified. No person shall be declared not guilty before God. But how are we justified? We are justified by faith, by what we believe. It is Jesus who has accomplished all the works necessary for us to be righteous before God. We just simply accept these things now, okay? So now in our time, as we were talking, and as I guess might as well talk about it, as I talked about what, we, what is necessary to believe. Now we understand or we have the fullness of faith. That is, Jesus the Messiah has been born. He has died for our sins. He has been buried and resurrected from the dead. These things you must believe. And in believing these things, now you are saved. And just to help you out, notice Romans chapter 10, that if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, that is all the things concerning Jesus. And what else? And notice, confess with the mouth, believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Notice another thing, just simply what? Believe. Then notice the end of that verse, you will be saved. Notice, he didn't tell you to do anything except believe. And he told you what it is that was necessary for you to believe. It was necessary for you to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And in doing these things, what? If you believe, you are saved. Back to Genesis chapter 15 and 6. Abraham believed what? He is saved. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. It was my intention to go a whole lot further than that. But for the sake of time, let's just stop here. And we'll come back to it. And we'll move on a little bit further as God begins to give Abraham and the evidence of that covenant promise that he made with him. All right, guys. See you next time. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe.